0: and lord willings seemed sickeningly tame to a secret agent of my stature so in my mind they were the enemy i remember once passing mrs wetstra's kitchen window just as she was putting cookies into the oven of her wood-burning stove leaning against the front of the house was a new pane of window-glass and it gave me an idea here would be my chance to see if the ever-smiling wetstras could get as mad as other dutchmen i picked up the piece of glass and moved ever so stealthily through the lines to the back of enemy headquarters. The wetstras, like everyone else in the village, had a ladder leading to their thatched roof. Off came my klompen, and up I went. Silently I placed the pane of glass on the chimney. Then I crept back down the ladder and across the street to post myself out of sight behind a fish-peddler's cart. Sure enough, the smoke backed down the chimney. It filled the kitchen and began to curl out the open window— Mrs. Wetstra ran into her kitchen with a scream, jerked open the oven door, and fanned the smoke with her apron. Mr. Wetstra raced outside and looked up at his chimney. If I had expected a stream of rich Dutch prose, I was disappointed, but the expression on his face as he climbed the ladder was entirely of this earth, and I chalked up for myself a tremendous victory against overwhelming odds. Another favorite enemy was my older brother Ben. Typical of older brothers, Ben was a master swapper. His corner of our common loft bedroom above the main floor of our house was splendid with things that had once belonged to me or the other children. Somehow we could never recall what we had received in exchange. His chief treasure was a piggy bank that had once been our sister Martius'. In it Ben kept the pennies that he earned doing errands for the burgomaster or tending garden for Miss Meekle, our schoolmistress. Events in Germany were now in the news more than ever, and in my fantasies Ben became an enormously wealthy German munitions-maker. One day, while he was out earning more pennies, I took his bank down from its shelf, slid a knife into the opening, and turned the pig upside down. After about fifteen minutes of narrow escapes from the brown-shirted guards patrolling his estate, I had collected nearly a guilder from the enemy. That part was easy. Much harder was the question of what to do with my spoils. A guilder was worth twenty-five cents, a fortune for a child in our little town. To have arrived in the sweet-shop with that much money would certainly have caused questions. I had it. What if I said I had found it? The next day, at school, I went up to the teacher and held out my hand. Look what I found, Miss Meekle. Miss Meekle blew her breath out slowly. My, Andrew, what a lot of money for a little boy. Can I keep it? You don't know who it belongs to? Even under torture, they would never wring the truth from me. No, ma'am, I found it in the street. Then you must take it to the police, Andy. They will tell you what to do. The police. Here was something I hadn't counted on. That afternoon, in fear and trembling, I took the money into the very bastion of law and rectitude. If our little town hall had really been Gestapo headquarters, I couldn't have been more terrified. It seemed to me that stolen money must give off a tell-tale gleam. But apparently my story was believed, because the police chief wrote my name on an envelope, put the money inside, and told me that if no one claimed it within a year it was mine. And so, a year later, I made that trip to the sweet shop. Ben had never missed the pennies. That spoiled the game. Instead of the flavor of sabotage behind the lines, the candy had the flat taste of common theft. As much as anything, I think my dreams of thrilling action, my endless fantasies, were a means of escaping from my mother's radio. Mama was a semi invalid A bad heart forced her to spend a large part of each day sitting in a chair where her consolation was the radio. But she kept the dial at one spot only, the gospel station from Amsterdam. Sometimes it was hymn-singing, sometimes it was preaching, always, to my ears, it was dull. Not to Mama. Religion was her life. We were poor, even by Vita standards. Our house was the smallest in the village. But to our door came an unending stream of beggars, itinerant preachers, gypsies, who knew that they would be welcome at Mama's table. The cheese that night would be sliced thinner, the soup stretched with water, but a guest would never be turned away. Thriftiness was as important in Mama's religion as hospitality. At four, I could peel potatoes without a centimetre's waste. At seven, the potatoes passed to my little brother Cornelius, while I graduated to the heady responsibility for shining shoes. These were not our everyday klompen. These were our leather shoes for Sunday, and it was an economic disaster.